though. We just came back from GLC. <clears throat> we were out there uh, Thursday and Friday. <clears throat> Went out there Thursday and made six television shows, six 30-minute shows. And uh, the man said, why don't we stop after six? I want to do some work on the lights. And I said, okay. So we went to the hotel, slept a couple of hours. You know, I got to catch up on a little sleep. Man, I needed that. So we came back that night, and we were on live, and then we prayed for people till about 11.30, I guess, and then we went to eat, and we got back to the hotel just about 1 o'clock, just in time to see the beginning of the show again. They re-aired it one. And so we sat up and watched about an hour's worth of it, watched the girls sing and a little bit of it, and uh, then we went to bed and got up next morning and went in. Uh, about 2 o'clock went to bed and got up uh, about 8 and went in, and I made nine more 30-minute shows that afternoon, and then we came home Friday night. I had a great time out there, but while we were out there, the owner of the station, Al Cooper, he told me, he said, I've had one of your shows move to a morning session, so when I get up in the morning, you're on. He said, I want to watch you because I'm trying to get my faith level built up. Now then, I want to, in the process of this testimony, I want us to look at Psalms 103, and I want you to see exactly what the king says as I tell you about Al's testimony. Now it comes down to the point, do we believe this book? I'm going to tell you we don't. I'm going to tell you the church does not believe this book, do we? I mean, if we ever get to where we can really believe all the promises he put in here, we're going to be somebody else, right? Because the promises are awesome. Some of us are slowly getting a hold of this, right? Some of us are getting a hold of it. Keith had a great testimony last week. He got a hold of it. And he stood on it, and he got to see the glory of God. And this is wonderful what happened to Al, too. Now, listen to what the Lord says here in Psalm 103. Now, of course, we don't do a whole lot of this either, but this is what we're supposed to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, are we supposed to bless the Lord? Yes, we are. Now, then, that don't mean whenever the problems arise. That means through the day, as you go every day, you're supposed to be blessing and praising the King. I mean, you know, as you work, wherever you work, you should go into your workplace praising the king. Nobody shouldn't have to ask. Anybody look at you and say, I wonder, is that guy a Christian? They say, oh, yeah, he's a Christian. All he talks about is Jesus. He's always going around here laying hands on the sick and people are getting healed and miracles are happening. Hey, that's where we're supposed to live. As Christians, that's what we're supposed to be seeing. Praise God, I've had the privilege of walking that the last 10 or 15 years. It's been awesome to see God do those things. But you can't get it done if you're ashamed of the king. You've got to bless his holy name. You've got to let people know, I'm a child of God, and I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? No, I don't believe that stuff. What a shame. Man, I mean, you've got to be bold with the word. You've got to let them know who you are, because you've got to do it God's way. He don't share his glory with you no other way. Then he says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, after you've blessed his name and praised his name and worshiped, then he says, Now then that you've done what I said, 
Now I'm going to tell you what my benefit package is. I forgive all of your iniquities. And I heal a few of your diseases. That's not what he said, was it, Keith? How many of your diseases did he promise to heal? Hey, now we don't really believe him, do we? But we're trying, aren't we? Now then, if he heals all of our diseases, that's a promise from God, isn't it? Under the law. Well, let's go to Titus 1-2. Let's go to Titus 1-2, and let's see what the Lord said in the New Testament under the, in the book of Titus. <clears throat> we see these great and awesome promises, but we think about... Titus chapter 1. I got that verse wrong. That's not the one I wanted. I'll find it in just a minute. It's been a long time since I've quoted that, so I thought I had that right. Titus, I'm looking for the one that says, For God, which is not a man, and he cannot lie. Which, where's that at? Y'all help me find it. Titus, I thought it was in chapter 1, but I might be wrong, but evidently that's not true. Oh, yeah, it is in verse 2. How about that? I read right over it and didn't even see it. Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, what can God not do? He cannot lie. If he cannot lie and he promised to heal all of our diseases, then why do we not believe him? You know, I don't have a problem with the doctor. If it wasn't for doctors, most of us would be dead because we don't know the Word of God. But if we truly trust this Word and believe what He says, what does He have to do? What does He have to do? He has to do what He promised. Now then, what if you don't believe his word? Turn over to James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And I want you to see in James 1, 6 and 7, I want you to look at what kind of God he is when he says, But let him that ask, ask in faith only a little bit of wavering. Esther, that's not what he said? How much can you waver, girl? You really think he means that? He's a God that can't lie, isn't he? So he says, let him ask in faith nothing wavering. Nothing. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, and let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You think he really meant that, Dan? 
He did. In other words, if he said, I'm the one who heals all of your diseases and forgives all of your iniquities, he meant that too, didn't he? But he said, if you don't ask in faith, I ain't going to do nothing for you. He meant that too, didn't he? Al Cooper, the owner, he's heard me teach these principles. He's the owner of GLC. He's older than I am. Him and his wife have been married 54 years. Lovely couple. Love God. Got some beautiful children. Beautiful daughters, beautiful granddaughters. I told them while I was out there, one of their daughters is a general manager of the place, and their granddaughter, I don't know what she does there, but she's some kind of an office manager or something. And I told them, I said, wow, have you and your wife got a beautiful family. I said, all y'all's daughters and even your granddaughters are all beautiful women. Now, see, they have been obedient to serve God. God has blessed them abundantly with a beautiful family. But did God also promise in His Word, if you'll be obedient and serve me, I will bless you and your children? See, so Al and Tommy have met the criteria. They have served the King. They've loved Him and praised Him. And they've stayed together as a couple 54 years. Now that he's learning what faith really is. So he's a worker. And one of the young men, Rick, that is the man that does all the programming stuff in there when we're doing all the filming, that runs all the machines and all, everything from the uh, switchers and all that stuff. He told me, he said, I tell the boss. I said, boss, get down off that ladder and let me, a young man, do that work for you. And he said, he won't listen to me. He goes up there and does it himself. He said, he just go. he's a worker. Well, the other day he was up on a ladder doing some stuff, leaning way over, cutting some wires, and his foot slipped. I don't know how old Al is, 75, I guess. You know, just a youngster. But he's up on top of the ladder, and his foot slips, and he starts to fall. He's got to grab something. So he reaches down to grab, and he comes out with his hand, and that big old knife he's got in the hand goes right across there and just lays his thumb wide open. <laughs> Cuts it just almost plumb to the bone. Blood just gushed. He said, I grabbed hold of the ladder and I looked at that blood gushing everywhere. I put my hand on it and I came down. I went inside and I washed it. And immediately I thought, good grief, that'll have to have at least six or eight stitches. It's a long cut. And it's deep. And then he thought, what am I doing? Thinking i got to have stitches when the king of the universe, I'm working for the king of the universe? And he made me a promise. I hear Thurman every morning say, he healed me. I can ask him for anything and he'll do it. He said, I go into my granddaughter and said, honey, would you put a band-aid over this? Jesus is going to heal this for me. She said, my granddaughter looked down and said, granddaddy. She said, nope, don't want to hear no nonsense. Just put me a band-aid. That's all I need is a band-aid. Jesus promised. So he said, I put a band-aid on it. I went back out there and crawled back up on the ladder. And he said, at least sit down and rest. He said, no, that would be a lack of faith. I'm going to continue to do everything I was doing because the king said he healed me. It's done. And if I go over and sit down... I'll start thinking and meditating on how bad my thumb is, and the next thing I'll do, I'll be down at the hospital letting them put six or eight stitches. He said, I ain't going down. I'm going back on top of that ladder and finish what I'm doing. He said, I went up on top of that ladder, finished what I'm doing, got down. He said, I got down, I pulled the band-aid off and looked at it, and he said, I'll be. There was six beautiful stitches in it. 
There wasn't really six beautiful stitches, but when you look at it, there were six places across there that the skin had already attached to it about an eighth of an inch apart, just like a stitch. And when I saw it Friday night, Thursday night, he did it, I think, on Monday, and Thursday night when I saw it, it was virtually completely healed, but you could still see those six little places that the skin had touched and molded back to hold it together. He said, Thurman, if God made me the promise, it's time I stop not believing the king. Now see, that's the kind of faith the king honors. You know what most of us do when we get cut like that? We ain't even walking in the spirit enough to even... I mean, when we see that, the first thing we do, we see that the devil will have no problem getting through to most of us as he keeps. Oh, you've got to have six ways to run to the doctor. Look at the blood running all over the place. Let me get down to the doctor. I mean, if that's where you're at, praise God for good doctors. If we didn't have we'd be in trouble. But just think, if you really trust God, well, what kind of faith never does it take to trust God like that? When it's your body that's cut. Or when it's your body that's hurting. I watched a little bit of a testimony last night of a doctor that had been on GLC. He come down in 1996 with cancer. He's also a preacher. He's a preacher of a small church, and he's a medical doctor, MD. I forget which university he'd been through, but he said, but I forgot. One of the bad, one of the good ones. And he said, 1996, he started feeling bad. So. They'd done some tests on him, some of his doctor friends. And they found out he had whatever cancer it was is non-curable. It's a very rare beast that he had it. And so they started praying for him. He refused chemo and radiation. And he said his church, which is a small church, he said the church met and prayed if I didn't misunderstand this, if I understood this right, I've got to watch this again to make sure I got this, because it was late last night or early in the wee hours this morning when I was watching this. His church met, and a big chunk of them, I don't know how many there was, but 15 or 20 or whatever, or at least several of the people in his church, met and prayed for him for 40 days. And then they took a two-day break and came back and prayed 40 more days for him. I thought, man, ain't a church in the world would do that for their pastor. But that church did for that one. They continued to pray. And he got worse. His arms got down to where there was nothing but the bone there. You can see, they took pictures of him. Nothing but the bone. And the cancer began to expand into huge Gross. He had gross under his neck like this. On his face, his chest looked like Superman. Had tumors this big. He looked awful. And then he went in to his doctor friends and they sent him back to the university where he had graduated from. And they looked at him and said, it's over. Ain't nothing can be done. You're going to be dead in a few days. He said, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ to heal me. He promised it. It's done. 
And guess what happened? All them tumors and everything just disappeared on his body. And he was completely, totally healed. That's been 10 years ago. And the other night when he was out there at GLC, Al said, and of course I saw the video, he's just as normal healthy as I am right now. In fact, doctor, one of the doctors of theology that I spoke with at Big Sandy, he was on the set with them. And he and I, Dr. Carl Koch, he's a great Hebrew scholar. He wasn't too sure of healing two years ago at Big Sandy. But let me tell you today, he's changed his mind. He believes the word. Now he believes Jesus will heal anybody that will come to him by faith. But see, we don't understand what faith is. We really don't. When Jesus promised, and he can't lie. If you trust him, Keith, like you did, you had a great testimony last Sunday. When Keith come home, and he had that problem with his eye, and he said, Lord, this body that I live in belongs to you. It's your property. I'm going to bed tonight, and you're going to take care of your property, because when I wake up in the morning, ain't going to be nothing wrong with my eye. Thank you, Lord. For owning me and my body and healing it like you promised. And he woke up the next morning, nothing wrong with his eye. Because he trusted the king. See? Now think about this. The devil had got me in my back many times. Of course, I told this story once and another man just recently stood on the same thing and remembered the same testimony that I'd given And when the devil hit him, he's getting ready to have a a big conference. Many people is going to be there. He has his own company, and he is the man that does all the speaking. And just a day or two before he's getting ready to do it, he gets up and starts to move, and bam! He gets hit in the back, and he's on his floor, on, on the knees, and he's in such pain. And he said, I immediately thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do this. And then he said, immediately that testimony of your act came flooding into my mind. He said, if those scriptures work for Thurman, they'll work for me. So he took those scriptures, he rebuked the devil, and he said, now then Thurman acted on the word. And he got up and walked off, and he said he walked out of it, and God instantly healed him. He said, he's going to heal me the same way. He got up, and he walked out of it. Now I'm going to tell you how it happened to me. The devil used to get me every couple of, two or three years with my back. I mean, he had put one on me. I mean, I might just turn. You know, I might reach down and pick up a sheet of paneling. Ten pound. Light weights to pick it up and turn. Oh, oh, and I'm on my knees. I can't. I mean, the pain is excruciating. That happened to me many times in my life. I thought it was just a way of life. I had it every few years, so I was kind of expecting it. I didn't know I had power over that. I had no idea. But in the promises that God put us in this book, I had learned that he had bore my sickness, removed my disease. And when I received that by faith, I was set free from all sickness and disease. And I didn't have any problems for years. I mean, I'm not even thinking about back troubles no more. Because I know I ain't going to have any more. Or at least I thought. But one day I didn't realize how the devil comes back for a counterattack. 
One day I was out in my shop on a Saturday morning getting a truck ready for an inspection sticker. I come walking down there. I always walk fast. You know, I, I get things done. You know, if you want to go with me, you're going to have to speed up or you're going to get left behind. Because I don't do nothing slow. That's not me. I work diligently at everything I do. I don't care what it is. That's just my nature. Anyway, I was going around the corner of that truck at a very rapid pace. When I made that turn around that corner, I felt and heard something just like that. It sounded just about like that. That demon of hell hit me right in the back. And when he did, the most excruciating pain, and it hit me so hard that immediately I couldn't stand up. My flesh would not let me stand up under that pain, and I fell over on the hood of a truck. But when I fell over on the hood of that truck, I thought about that pain, and the first thoughts that come to my mind was Isaiah 53, 4. Jesus bore my pain. If Jesus bore my pain, he didn't plan for me to have it, did he? He didn't plan for you to have it either. But we yield to that devil. He'll put that pain on us. But I thought about that and I quoted. I said, Lord, thank you that you bore my pain. Thank you that in Matthew eight seventeen you said you bore my iniquities and removed my disease. Lord, if you did that for me, it's done. I'm your son. I'm not a nobody. I'm a son of the king of the universe. And he has forgiven me of all my sins and washed away all of my sins and made me clean and pure in his sight because of the blood of Jesus. What a covenant we have with the king. I said, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you that you bore my sickness so I don't have to have this. You bore my pain. I said, now, Lord, thank you that you came and defeated the forces of darkness 2,000 years ago. You came, according to 1 John 3, 8, and you destroyed the works of the devil. And this is the work of the devil. So if you destroyed the works of the devil, and you took away all of his power and armament, like you said in Colossians 2, 15, and disarmed him completely, and triumphed over him in the cross, then what the devil's doing, he's doing it by deception and bluff, and he has no right to do this to me as a son of God. I said, no, Lord, thank you for Luke 10, 19, and 20. Or you said in Luke 10, 19 and 20, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to trample and to tread on that beast. Meaning you've got that power, don't we, Ernest? But if you don't know it, you don't have it. Behold, I give unto you power to trample on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over him. He shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that these evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice that your name's written in heaven. I said, now devil, I've quoted enough word to drive you out of my back. I said, now then, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to walk off from here and I'm going to finish everything I wanted to do today and I'm going to do it with no pain. And I pushed myself up off of that hood and when I did, that devil twisted my back. The beads of sweat popped out all over me. It was so excruciating. 
He's trying to get me to say, this faith stuff ain't working. I said, but devil, it is working. It can't fail because God can't lie. And you're defeated. So I turned and I said, you might as well leave now because I'm going to do everything I wanted to do in the name of Jesus because the king can't lie. He bore my sickness, removed my disease, so praise God I'm healed. And I took that first step. And when I did, I wavered. It hurt so bad. I said, you beast of hell, get out of my back in the name of Jesus. How much power do we have over the devil in the name of Jesus? What does he have to do when we do something in faith? He has to obey. I took step number two, and the pain was half gone. And I took step number three, and it was gone. And I've been running and playing ever since. Now, I had a choice to make. I could have yielded to the enemy, or I could have believed the Word. Every one of you will have those kind of choices to make. Keith had one just the other day. And he passed his test. Praise, aren't you glad, Keith? Praise God! You know, the enemy attacked him in his eye because he's got to have his eyes to do what he does. Some people can work and do things with fairly bad eyes, but not him, because he's a pilot. He's got to have good eyes. Them eyes got to both be working. And if something happens to one of them, he can't fly with one. They won't let you fly with one eye. You've got to have both of them. Because your depth perception is not good with one. Of course, I mean, you know, if you're off a few feet... 30, 40, 50 foot, when you fly out and go to land, it's no big deal unless you're flying an airplane. Then it's a real problem. Those of you who've never flown an airplane, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you ever rode with a guy that landed one like that, you will know. <laughs> Fly out 50 feet above the ground, <laughs> that will send shock something down your back. <laughs> Guarantee. Because you don't want to flare and, and stall that beast out 50 feet above the ground, do you, Keith? Not only. No. So he got to have both eyes. So the enemy attacked him in his eyes. But he overcame him by the power of the blood and the word of his testimony. There's a devil out there that's trying his best to put sickness and disease and destroy you and me every day of our life. But we as sons and daughters of God, when we learn to walk in faith and learn to pray in faith, what can we do? Now the king himself made this statement to you. According to your faith, be it done unto you. What does that mean? What if you have a little faith? What if you have no faith? Then you better know a good doctor. Because you're going to need it. Right, Ernest? What if you've got little faith? You better still know a good one. What if you've got mediocre faith? You better still have a good doctor online out there somewhere. But what if you've got great faith? Who is your doctor when you have great faith? Ooh, the king. And he is the best physician i ever seen. Ain't he the best one you've ever seen, Ernest? He can heal your granddaughter. He can heal your wife. 
He can heal anybody, can't he? All you got to do is believe. Believe. And repent of your sins. That's the first thing when something comes upon you. You want to say, Lord, I don't know if I've messed up or not. But if I have or if I know it or I don't know it, I repent. Known and unknown sins, Lord. I'm, I'm asking you to forgive them all. Because he said in Psalm 103, I forgive how many of your iniquities? But what do you got to do to get them confessed? Get them repented of. I mean, get them forgiven. You got to repent. You got to ask, Lord, I'm sorry. You know how many, you know how many ways we probably sin in a day that we don't even know about? Who knows? That's why it doesn't hurt to say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I want you to take my robe that I got on and I want you to cleanse me and purify so my robe is clean to the floor. Right, honest? We don't want no dirty spots on it, do we? None whatsoever. So when we come and ask him for something, then he said, I will heal all of your problems. But you have to stand on that, don't you, Keith? And when you stand on it, wow! You get to see the glory of God. But... If there's anything I'm learning about faith, faith means totally, completely, with no other reason, trusting the king. It doesn't mean share. You know, people say, that means I'm not supposed to go to a doctor? It all depends on where your faith is at. If your faith is where Keith was, you didn't go to a doctor, did you, Keith? You just trusted God. He just made a statement and confessed his word and woke up the next morning healed. Was that right? That's what I did. Now then, if your faith level is small, just like Dave said whenever he got his healing of his lifelong incurable disease and it took him a year and a half to get it, after it's all over and he's completely ill, I said, Dave, why do you think it took you a year and a half to get healed? He says, my quiet time with God was not sufficient. In other words, he wasn't intimate enough with God. What does that mean? Do you know what the first commandment is? Anybody in here can tell me what the first commandment was. What does it say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. In other words, what's he trying to say? You've got to put him first above everything else? Or you put him first after your children? After your husband or your wife? After work? That's not what he meant, was he? If you put him first in everything, then he's what's on your lips everywhere you go. You're talking about him because he's the love of your life. I don't care where you are. I used to be a pilot myself, you know, commercially. And when I, back in those days, we had three guys in the cockpit. Even four for a while. We had a navigator for a while until we come out with the inertial navigation systems and that eliminated the navigator. So we went to three. But when we had four or three, I always had a captive audience. They couldn't get away from me. We got a door right behind us, and we got a little bitty area right here. And when you talk about Jesus, everybody had to hear it. Amen. I got some really, and of course I didn't know nothing compared to what I know today, but I got some really good conversations going in those cockpits, especially on some of them long flights halfway around the world. It's amazing. 
some of the flights I made. In fact, the longest flight I ever made. We took off from Frankfurt, Germany one day and landed at Los Angeles International at the West Terminal. 11 hours and 55 minutes block time. That's a long day, wasn't it, Keith? Of course, the beautiful part about it, you know, flying an airplane is really hard. Once you learn the systems, you just get in it and take off and energize the autopilot and let it take you there. We didn't do a thing. We just sat there and drank tea or coffee, talked, you know, ever so many, maybe 30, 45 minutes, wondering we'd have to give a position report. We had to talk on the radio for well, maybe a half a minute, tell them where we were or something like that. And that's all we had to do. And for 11 hours and 55 minutes, we just sat in that beast and it took us there. Really hard. Don't have to do nothing. It just flies you there. And once we got airborne, and once we let it come on automatically to tell you how good this thing was, we let it fly the total trip down to the outer marker at Los Angeles International Airport. And when the airplane turned in on this automatic coupled approach, we looked in front of us and the runway was dead in front of us at 5,500 nautical miles of distance after 11 hours and 55 minutes of flying time. That's how precise those systems are. Isn't that right, Keith? They're that good. Sure. I mean, he has a hard job. His job's a little harder because he don't get to fly them long flights. A lot of his trips are 30 minutes or an hour. He's up and down. Of course, you've got to fly that. You've got to land. You've got to take off. So he earns his money. But the international pilots, we don't earn our money. We just sat up there and talked and had a good time. I had it made. But that was life. But I had a captive audience talking about Jesus. I had some good conversations in those cockpits with those guys. Some of them said, but you know, I don't believe this stuff, religion. I said, but you know, i got a book here. Let me reach over and get my book. And let me show you what he said right here. What about this right here? Let me see that. So, you know, you can't imagine the conversations I got started in those close quarters in that cockpit. I had lots of fun. But it wasn't without complications. Now, here's what you need to be able to do what I've done. We're going to go, first of all, to Psalms 51, verse 11. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we talk about you and your power today, I ask you to anoint me with the Holy Spirit and fire. And ask you to open the ears of everybody that's here that will receive these mighty promises and statements of yours. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. And you are a faith God. And what we're going to talk about today is what every one of us needs to get this done. Thank you, Father, for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51.11, we're going to start. David is saying, do not cast me away from your presence. That should be your prayer also. Lord, please do not cast me away from your presence. Because without him you can do nothing. And do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. David was a blessed man under the law. Because 
Very few people had the Holy Spirit under the law. Only a select few. And David had had the privilege to have the Holy Spirit. And he knew he didn't want to give him up. Well, today, you and I have a great privilege. Any one of us can have the Holy Spirit. All we've got to do is ask and believe by faith. But that wasn't the way it was under the law. The Holy Spirit had not fell on the earth. He was only allowed to come to a select few men. And David was one of those men. And he'd got to walk in that power. But very few men had that privilege until Christ came and died and arose. And then he sent the Holy Ghost to the earth. And now any one of us that comes to Christ can have this mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, what a gift, Ernest. You and me can have that. And we want it, don't we? Amen. Isaiah 63.10. In Isaiah 63.10, this is something you do not want to do. Isaiah 63.10, but they rebelled. You do not want to be rebellious as a child of God. Because he says, they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy. Do you want God to be your enemy? I can think of a lot of people I'd rather have as my enemy than the king. In fact, I'd rather everybody be my enemy than the king. Hadn't you noticed? I don't want God to be my enemy. Do you, Keith? I want him to be on my side. So you don't want to grieve him. He says... They grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Would you like for God to be fighting against you? No, nay, no way. If the king is fighting against you, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. There ain't nothing you can do to overcome God. But I've seen people that thought that they could outdo God. Even Satan, as powerful as he was, as Lucifer, he thought he could outdo God. And what did the king do? Threw him out of heaven. Cast him down on the earth. I can just see Jesus reaching up and saying, You think you're going, a created being, you're going to exalt yourself above me? I'm God. I can just see the king reach up and grab the devil by the nap of the neck. First he said, holding him up there, and he said, how many of you angels want to go with him? He said, I will do great and mighty things if you boys will follow me. And he deceived a third of them. That's his deceptive ability. That's why he gets to you and me as a church. So easy. When it comes to sickness and disease, he puts these pains and symptoms upon us. And he says, oh, look at that big giant cut in your hand. He's probably the one that shoved the ladder out from under Al. And then when Al's trying to catch himself, rips his hand open with that knife in his hand, I can sure, he said, the first thing I thought about when I looked at that wide open, I mean, it was an inch or longer, and he said it was nearly plumb to the bone. I mean, he laid it open. He said the first thoughts was, 
you're going to have to go to the doctor and get six or eight stitches. Where'd that thought come from? Sure. But see, the Holy Spirit, which dwells in him, rose up and said, If you'll trust me, I'll heal it for you. So now he's got a decision to make. He looks at what he sees and it's his hand. And it's laid open. Then he goes in and has them put a band-aid on it. And see, everybody that sees it wants you to go to the doctor. Your Christian brothers and sisters. <gasps> wow, that looks like six or eight stitches. Run down to the doctor. We'll take you down there. Nope, 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 nope. Put me a band I'll Wash it off and wash the blood all off my hand. Pull it back again. Put me a band-aid on it. And now then, but daddy, granddad, go, go lay down and take it easy. No. I'm okay. I'm going back to work. I'm going to finish that electrical work I was doing up there. Crawl right back up on that ladder. He said, if I don't go finish that, there ain't no faith in me. But I don't believe God's healed me. Some of you say, boy, he was stupid. No. He was totally led by the Holy Spirit. And he didn't grieve the Holy Spirit. So instead of fighting against him, God fought for him. And just that when I saw that, you could still see those... How many of you have seen where skin looks like when you got a cut where the skin just pulls back together? About every eighth of an inch across there, there was a, like that. You know, I thought, man, I, look, I said, look, those are stitches. He said, no, they ain't getting no stitches in there. I looked real close and I said, no, that's just skin, isn't it? He said, yeah, I didn't go to no doctor. He said, I've been listening to you too long. He said, I've had one of your shows noon to the time in the morning when I get up so I can listen to you to get my faith built up. He said, Thurman, you don't really, nobody teaches the Word of God like you teach it? Amen. I said, well, they ought to all be teaching it like I'm teaching because it's God's Word. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Then, after he had, they had grieved the Holy Spirit in verse 11, then he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people saying, Where is he who brought us up out of the sea? With the shepherd of his flock, where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? Where is he today? Where is the king of the universe residing today? Where is he, Ernest? He's in you, isn't he? We don't have to go very far to find him today. What a privilege you and I have as members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The king could have tucked up residency anywhere in the cosmos, but he chose to live in you and me. Wow! God is in me. You know what it would do to you if you start waking up every morning and going in and looking in the mirror and say, God is in that thing. Wow! He's in there! God, with you in this thing, there ain't nothing mean you can't get done today. Is that right? Like that book was given to me when we were in Germany. It said, see yourself like God sees you. On the front page, there's a little person there, and they're a little pity cat. They're looking in a great big mirror. And in the mirror is a great big lion. See yourself like God sees you. Yeah, we may be little pretty tats. But what's in us is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when we turn him loose, 
That lion can rip that devil apart. And we have no fear. Should we be afraid of anything? As Christians, we should have no fear. None whatsoever. The king loves me and you so much, but he's a faith God. And that's the part we've missed. We've really got to believe he's a faith God. We don't want to grieve him. We want to trust him. You know, your confession must be the word. I mean, sure, the devil can put pains upon you. He can put symptoms upon you. And every once in a while, he'll come back to put those pains and symptoms upon you. But you've got to confess the word. I'm not sick. I'm not afflicted. Yeah, devil, you may show up on me this morning. You may attack my lungs today. And I may wake up this morning and I can't hardly breathe. But that don't falter me at all. In the name of Jesus, get out of my life. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And I can breathe perfect. Just like that lady had come to a healing school and she had, I don't know what all, but she knew she was on oxygen. Taught her the Word of God four or five hours. Prayed for her. She went out there just like she come in, in a wheelchair with an oxygen bottle. She got home that night and she said, you know, she's meditating on the Word. Dangerous thing to do. I told Janet a while ago I come in, she's sitting there reading this old book she's got in her arms. I said, you better be careful. That might change your life. She said, I hope it does. <laughs> Praise God. That's what happens when you read the Word. It changes your life. When you take that Word, like that lady did, and she meditated on it, and all of a sudden she says, you know, if God is true and He can't lie, He made me the promise. So she said, I don't need this oxygen. Took the oxygen thing off, throwed it out the side and says, and she said, it's like I took a breath of fresh air of spring for the first time in years. She said it smelled so good and her lungs were fully inflated and a month later she come back to a healing school walking with no oxygen, breathing perfect. What was it that healed her? The Word and her faith and her actions. She acted on the word. She could have went home and listened to the devil and said, you know, you ain't never going to get healed. You're going to need oxygen and you ain't going to live much longer. You're going to die. She could have believed that. But she didn't. She believed the word. And she got up and walked off. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to the New Testament now. Matthew 1, 18. We're going to be talking about this mighty Holy Spirit. He is the power that's behind you and me today. You've got to have Him. If you don't have Him and you don't believe in Him, you're grieving Him. And He's against you instead of for you. You've got to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without Him, you can do nothing. Don't leave home without Him. You know, you've seen these commercials say, don't leave home without your MasterCard or your charge card. Well, let me tell you, don't leave home without the Holy Ghost. If you ain't got Him, you're in trouble. You can't do nothing without the power of the Holy Ghost. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, no sex, she was found pregnant with a child of the Holy Ghost. What can the Holy Ghost do? He can implant a seed inside of a woman's womb. 
What can the Holy Spirit do? All things. things. We're just going to see a few of the things that he's done. Matthew 3.11. Here we see he brought Jesus from heaven and implanted him as a little tiny, tiny thing inside the womb of a little young girl. Probably a little teenage girl. But this little teenage girl had found favor with God because she had kept herself clean and pure and she had studied the Word of God. She was a virgin. And she bore that son. And the first time Joseph went to bed with her after Jesus was born, I'm going to guarantee you she was still a virgin. You know that? God don't do shabby work. He might have brought a baby through the womb of Mary, but the first time Joseph went to bed with her, she was a clean, pure, chaste virgin. I can tell you for sure. God is capable of doing that. He can handle that. Matthew 3.11 I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy even to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit? Jesus does. When you get baptized into the church, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the church. But Jesus baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. If you get the Holy Spirit, you'll have to ask the Father in the name of Jesus, and Jesus will, if you obey Him, He will send that mighty Holy Spirit. But again, you have to receive Him by faith. Somebody says, I've been everywhere in the world looking for the Holy Spirit. I've been to every meeting, everybody. I mean, I've been everywhere. And I've begged and pleaded for the Holy Spirit, and I never got Him. The reason you didn't get Him, because you didn't ever believe. That's why we don't get our healing. That's why we don't get our salvation. That's why we don't get anything from God, because when we ask, we don't believe. We got it. Somebody said, well, I didn't feel anything. Hey, the kingdom of God does not come with feeling. It comes by faith. I went down and Thurman prayed for me and my pain didn't leave. I hurt just as bad so I didn't get healed. You're right. You didn't. But when you walk up here like Judy did that day and I cast that demon of hell out of her in 1999 with terminal breast cancer which had a few days to live, she said, I know I'm healed because it's written in that book. And that woman that was going to die that week was instantly healed of terminal breast cancer and got up and run and played it, hadn't eaten a bite in three weeks and went out and had a fried shrimp dinner that afternoon. Did she believe God? I'm telling you, she believed God. Most people will tell you, if you hadn't had a bite to eat in three weeks, don't go down and pig out on a shrimp dinner. Eat some soup or something. But what can you do by faith? All things. Where is your faith level? Oh, us of little faith. I used to be one of those critters of little faith. 
And then I was one of those critters that didn't have no faith. But now then I'm up there a little higher. I don't know where I am in that faith. But I'm not on the bottom where I used to be, Keith. You're not either, are you? No way. We've been on the bottom, haven't we? And it didn't pay very good dividends, did it? No. But up here in faith. Now then it says, He will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. John, how would we like to walk in that spirit and fire? I'd love it, wouldn't you? Yes. Lord, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Every day I want you to baptize me with that. That power. I ask you to fill me every day. Because, I mean, every day, if I were to fill my car up with gas every day, I would be ready anytime anybody comes. They, they might come and say, we need you to make a 400-mile trip. I say, good, I'm ready to go get in that car. It's ready to go. It's full of gas. Don't take your car home at night. This is what I used to get on my son. I'd go out in the morning after he drove my car, and it was sitting on the E on empty. I'd wonder, your kids done that too, Shelly? <laughs> I'd wonder if I had enough gas to get to the Sunday station. So I'm sweating. Lord, please help me, Lord. He said, tell your kids to put gas in it. So I finally started telling my son, look, you will drive my car? Yeah, Dad. I said, then you bring it home with at least a quarter of a tank of gas. Don't you dare bring that thing home no more on hard, empty on the bottom. Well, when I turn the the key on, the needle goes down instead of up. Some of y'all know what I mean. You've had kids. Or you've loaned your car to somebody and they drove it running out of gas and brought it home. You know, if somebody loans me their car and I drive it, when I bring it home, it's going to be full of gas. If I can't afford to put gas in it, I ain't borrowing their car. But some people will borrow your car and run every every bit out and bring it home to you stone empty. Matthew... Let's go here. Matthew twelve thirty two. This is a scary one. Matthew twelve thirty two. Look what he said. Anyone who's that include? You think that means what it says? That means you and me then, doesn't it? Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man. In other words, you might say something about Jesus. It will be forgiven him if you ask. You've got to ask. When you make derogatory statements about Jesus or take his name in vain and do what we do, you know, people say, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, they took his name in vain. They weren't giving God glory. Even people in church, well, somebody say, oh, Jesus. Something that, hey, be careful how you use the name. That's the name of our king. Be careful. Anyone who speaks their word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But you've got to ask. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Either in this age or in the age to come. Should you be very careful about how you talk about the Holy Ghost? I have heard and read stories. There is recorded, I believe it's 28 
different men that's on record that have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Three of them was together one night. And this story was these three men walked into a movie theater which had been rented for a preacher to have a meeting at. And they walked in thought it was a movie theater. They noticed that there's, come on in, it's free. So they thought, okay, we'll come in and see the movie. They come in and watch the movie. It was a preacher up there talking. They'd been out to the bars, you know, had a few beers, and they come and sit down, the preacher's preaching. And they start making, and he's teaching about the Holy Ghost. And they start making fun of him. You know, ah, this blankety blank Holy Spirit you're talking about. And after a little while, he finally says, gentlemen, please, gentlemen, you don't know what you're doing. You know, I, 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 I really would plead with you men not to speak evil of the Holy Spirit. You're treading on dangerous ground. They just kept wailing on and finally said, oh, this blankety blank stuff. We thought this was a movie. We're out of here. So they finally left. Three businessmen. The next morning, the guy sobered up. One of them gets, puts his suit on, goes out and gets in his car, or get, goes to get in his car, reaches up and puts his hand on the bill to open the car, and his heart explodes in his chest and he drops dead right there on the sidewalk. About noon, the second one was sitting in his office, and his heart exploded in his chest and he fell instantly dead. And then that evening, the third one had heard about all this. He's sitting in his office smoking a cigarette and drinking some scotch. And his secretary walks in and says, Sir, you look awful. What's wrong with you? He said, Last night a preacher told us we had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I didn't believe him. He said, I begged God to forgive me for what I did. But he said, My other two friends are already dead. And while she was sitting there talking to him, smoking a cigarette, drinking a drink, his heart exploded and he fell face down dead on his chest. All three of those men were dead in less than 24 hours after they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Who did he say he would deal with if he blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Anyone. Be careful. Don't make the king mad. Don't blaspheme his Holy Spirit. Those three men did, and it cost all three of them their life within 24 hours. Did he say you could ask forgiveness and be forgiven? Did he? If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, can you ask forgiveness and be forgiven? There ain't no forgiveness for that, is there, Ernest? That's what the Word says, isn't it? Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven you. Neither in this age or in the one to come. Have you ever wondered why you hear so many people take God's name in vain? Say GD. You hear so many people take Jesus' name in vain. But you virtually never hear anybody say anything about the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because nobody ever does that twice. You know why that when I was in the Middle East, you know why that there's very few thieves in the Middle East? Because if you see somebody with a hand cut off, you say, what happened to him? He's got no hand. They say, oh, he got caught 
stealing. That's the first thing we do if we cut their hand off. I mean, just lay it down on the shopping block with a big hatchet and cut her right off. Well, what do you do if he get, does it twice? Oh, he said there's no third offenders. We cut their head off a second time. How would you like to live in a place like that? Hey, there ain't no thieves. There ain't no stealers. You know, when punishment is sure and swift, people straighten their act up. It's just like I remember a man that lived up here in Louisville in Highland Village when I lived there years ago. And he told me, I said, his name was Mr. Mack. I said, Mr. Mack, he was about 75 or 80 then. I said, in your years of living in Texas, he'd been here all of his life, born here. I said, did you ever see a hanging? He said, I saw one. I said, where did you see it? He said, over McKinney, Texas. He said, we lived about 20 miles out in the country, and we only came to town once a month for sugar and flour and stuff like that. The rest of the time, we did everything out in the country. Now, most of us today couldn't make it without a grocery store down the street to go get milk two or three times a week, right? We're spoiled, don't we, Esther? And we love it, don't we? I do too, girl. I love being spoiled. But when I was a kid, I, I didn't know no different. I just get up in the morning and go out and milk the cow. We had fresh milk. You squirt, squirt a little over the cat, you know. You know, I had a lot of fun growing up as a kid. <clears throat> but Mr. Mack said they come to town once a month. He said we come to town one day and they had a deal built up down there on the county square. I thought, what's going on? So young boy, 12, 15 years old, whatever, he goes running down there. And he said, as I go down there, a man with a blindfold over his head is walking up with his hands tied behind him. They're walking up a set of stairs. He said, there's a rope hanging up there. The guy goes out there and they put a noose around his neck and tighten it up. He said, I'm standing there in awe watching this. And all of a sudden the guy pulls a lever. The boards fall out from under him. And the guy falls through that about six feet down there. And he's dead. I said, what did that guy do? They said, he stole the horse. He's a thief. He said, did they do everybody that steals like that? He said, yes. He said, let me tell you, I ain't never going to steal nothing in my life. That made a lasting impact on Mr. McKinney. And when he was 75 or 80 years old, Mr. Mack, he still remembered that, just like he saw it when he was a young boy. If we still done a few things like that today, we'd have a lot less criminals out there on the streets. We're too soft. But God's not soft. If you blaspheme His Holy Spirit, what did He say He'll do to you? There ain't no forgiveness. No forgiveness. So be careful. You need to know. You need to praise and worship the Lord. Not blaspheme His Holy Spirit. All right, let's go to Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. He says, Go therefore and make disciples. Now this is a command for the entire church. This is not for preachers. This is for you and me. He says, Go therefore and make disciples. It don't matter if it's New Orleans, Dallas, wherever it is. But let me tell you, if you're not making disciples here, they ain't no use in you going to nowhere else as a mission field. That's when I see people. I used to go to a church up here 
uh, some of the big churches, and they'd get a mission trip together going to Argentina or somewhere. Always lots of young people wanted to go to see the country, go on a mission trip. Finally, as a deacon one day, I told him, I said, we need to select the ones that go. Not just open it to everybody. I said, if they're not on fire for Jesus and they're not making disciples here, why well, send them to Argentina to do it? Amen. They just want to go see the country. So we're going to send them to Florida for a week on the beach. And you're going to tell me they're going to go down there and make disciples? They're going to go down there to have fun. They're not making disciples here. If you're not out about the king's business here, they ain't using sending you nowhere else. You need to be making disciples right here in your workplace. There's a mission field everywhere in America. On your block, at your workplace, there's people everywhere dying and going to hell, and you got the answer. The Lord says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the way we're supposed to be doing things. Then let's go to Mark 1, 8. Mark 1, 8. I indeed baptize you with water, John the Baptist says, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But today, as a son or daughter of God, you do not get that power automatically. When you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, yes, you receive the Holy Spirit, but you do not get His power. You've got to receive that by faith. And the thing to do is re-ask Him every morning when you wake up say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit and power today. Use me for your glory. Go in and look in that mirror. And see yourself like the lion. Say, Lord, with that Holy Spirit in me, there ain't nothing you and me can't do today. But if you go out without that Holy Spirit, the devil's going to beat up on you today, I can assure you. And if you've never asked by faith for the infilling power of the Holy Spirit and believed you got it, you have not got it. Somebody said, well, I didn't get the gift of healing when I believed. Oh, yeah, you had the gift of healing before. All the gifts are already yours. You know how you make the gifts work? You exercise them. You know how to make the gift of healing work? You walk through your workplace. Or you walk down the street you see a lady here, and she's got a problem. And you walk up to her and you tell her, Jesus is the healer. I'm going to pray for you, the little Spanish woman at the bottom of the stairs. And you pray for her and lay hands on her and say, you're healed because Jesus said so. And what did Jesus do to that woman, Pat? He healed her. Pat exercised her power as a daughter of the king with the Holy Ghost in her. And she laid hands on a little Spanish woman. What? Wasn't she a Spanish woman? You mean God heals Mexicans? Really? Does He care who you are? Does He care if you're white, yellow, black, red, or yellow, or anything else? God don't honor nothing but faith, does He? 
It don't make no difference who we are, what we are, what color we are, what nationality we are. Praise God that he don't see colors, that he don't see nationality. He only sees faith, doesn't he, Ernest? But when you've got that Holy Spirit in you, you can go out. When you, you, all you've got to do to get that Holy Spirit is kneel or just stand and say, Lord, you said in Luke eleven thirteen that you'd give the Holy Spirit to anybody that asked you. Now, Lord, I'm walking in obedience to your word. And I'm asking you to fill me with that mighty power. Thank you, Lord. I got it. It's done. Somebody said, I didn't feel nothing. If you're waiting for feeling, it's going to be a long time before you get the Holy Spirit. He says, I am a faith God and a faith kingdom. One of these days, still, I'm going to... I'm going to find that man's name that I read his book. The one that God told him to go do something one morning. And he was going to go do it. And another preacher come by and asked him to go horseback riding with him. And he said, the Lord told me to go do something. i got to do it. And he said, no, 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 no. You can do that after. And so he went with the man, went after he got on a horse. And when he got on it, the horse reared up. And he slid off the back. And the horse fell over and broke both bones in his leg. When God tells you to do something, you go do what he says first. Then you come back and ride the horses. But he got up with such great faith, the other pastor saw the bone sticking out, and he said, you broke both bones. He said, I did not break a bone. God said, I'll never have a broken bone. I do not have a broken leg. He's a dummy. He's an idiot. He's looking. He sees his legs broke, but he denies it. And he gets up and gets back on the horse and rides. And they come back and he gets off that horse and he walks on that broken leg. Friday night he's speaking in a group and they said, we understand you broke your leg this week. He walks out behind the platform and says, can a man do that with a broken leg? And they said, no. He said, I didn't break a leg. I'll never have a broken bone. He is denying what really happened. He goes on for like, I forget, it's two or three months. And his leg gets worse and worse and worse. And then it comes down to the point, and he was an old ex-Vietnam vet, just like me. And then it comes down to the point, he sees again green blisters. He looks at it and says, Lord, it's over. There ain't nothing nobody can do but you. You told me in your word that you would never put me to the test beyond what I could bear. He said, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. He said, I'm going to go for a motorcycle ride. And when I got on this motorcycle and kick-started that thing with that broken leg, that was gangrened, and started down the road, praising the king. He got down there a little ways, and there's a little guy, a little short, real light, 100-pound man standing on the side of the road. He said, I don't pick up people on a motorcycle. But he said, I went right by him when I did something. said, pick him up. I stopped and I looked back and I said, you need a ride? He said, yeah. I said, where are you going? He said, he told me. He said, well, okay, I'll take you down to the next road, which is a few miles water, and then you've got to go that way. And I'm going this way, but I'll take you down that road. He said, okay. So he said, the guy crawled on behind me, and I took off. He said, I took off and I thought, he ain't back there. 
But he said, I turned and looked, and he's behind me. He said, I couldn't feel him at all. First man, even 100 pounds, you can feel him. You can put a child behind you, you can feel him. So he said, I drove down to the end of the road where he was going to go, and I stopped, and I said, this is where you've got to get off. You've got to go that way to get where you want to go. He said, okay. And the guy got off. He said, I started to go, and he said, by the way, your leg is healed. He said, I'm already going. When that restaurant, I thought, my leg is healed. How do you know? He said, I slammed the brakes on and stopped and turned around to look. And he said, I can see hundreds of yards in every direction, and there ain't nobody standing there. He's gone. Who was that? An angel. He said, I pulled up my bitch's leg and looked down, and my leg was like a new one. Totally healed. Now, how many of you want to go that far with the test? Will God put you to the test? Yes, He will. He will find out what you're made out of. And you know what? Most of us are just like I was before I learned how to walk in faith. I didn't have a clue what it meant to trust God. It's hard to trust God. Especially when it's your body that's hurting. You have to have this Holy Spirit to help you do this. You can't do this on your own. I mean, people think a man of faith is crazy. That's like when I was standing in that hospital over Caitlin and Kelly, and I was quoting the Word of God, telling them what my God was going to do, and everybody thought I was a grandfather in denial. Thurman, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm not. If I'm crazy, the Word of God's crazy. I said, I'm standing on this book. But Thurman, you can't tell God what to do. I said, I'm not. He told me what to do, and I'm quoting His Word. And of course, today, I don't take no faith. It don't take any faith to see her running and playing, to see Kelly running and playing. But it took faith to get those little girls healed. But both of them were supernaturally healed. You can't do this without this Holy Spirit. Mark 3, 29. Or Mark 3.20. Praise the King. Mark, that is 29. Mark 3.29. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Mark twelve thirty six. For David himself said, By the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David himself said, By the Holy Spirit. Can the Holy Spirit speak out of your mouth? If you let him do it. If you'll yield yourself to Him, He will make statements out of your mouth that you'll wonder where they came from. You'll be amazed if you let God run and rule your life. You will think, where did that come from? I've had a few of those experiences. I remember a preacher I know. He said he was up one time talking about the things that God could do. 
and there was a man right over here said, God can do anything. There ain't nothing impossible with God. And technically the scripture says nothing is impossible with God. But there is a few things God cannot do. And the man says, out of my mouth, I was a, I was a traveling evangelist in a new city, and it was my first time in that church ever, and I didn't know nobody there but the pastor. He said, when that man said what he did, out of my mouth came, if I can do anything, then why can't, don't I make you tithe? He said, the man just disappeared under the seat. Who do you think that was speaking of that preacher's mouth? The Holy Ghost. That man didn't know that man. But the Holy Ghost knew. Well, see, God cannot make you tithe. I have people all the time call me and say, Thurman, would you pray for me that I'll become a tither? I said, no. Just do it. I had a man on the set the other night. I had several questions come in. Do we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to obey the Word of God? I told him as soon as I got back on the set, I said, no, just do what he says. You have the right, the privilege. God's not going to come grab you by the nap of the neck and shake you and say, no, you've got to do this. He's not going to do that, is he, Ernest? He's just going to say, I said do this, now it's up to you to obey me. And if you obey him, he'll do what he said, won't he? He's not going to force you. He's going to let you make the choice. That's why so many people do not know Jesus. He said, anybody that comes to me and accepts me as Lord and Savior, I'll in no wise turn you away. Not turn away a single soul. So who can get saved? Anybody. All you got to do is believe. And if you do, he'll save you. Here's a one I love in Mark thirteen eleven. Mark thirteen eleven. But when they arrest you and deliver you, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. And that's where we get in trouble. We start trying to think about what I'm going to do. I remember when the Lord was training me. I didn't know He was training me to be a pastor in the future. I had no idea. But I remember going on a trip one time with a group of men. I'm a young deacon, and they're doing all kinds of things. And we're down talking about some things. And we start up the stairs, and a man hands me a piece of paper with one line on it about the Word of God. And he says, by the way, Thurman, there's about 30 or 40 or 50 men in that group. He said, when we get to the top of the stairs in the classroom, I want you to speak 15 minutes on this subject. What? What did that do to us, Eldon? Oh, I would say, Eldon, I asked him to do something for me for a Bible study other than he agonized about it for a week. <laughs> I give him two weeks' notice. <laughs> and he went fussing the whole time. <laughs> I'm sorry, Elder, I had to tell that on you. <laughs> but here I am going up the stairs thinking I'm going to get to hear somebody else up there. And the guy hands me a line and says, when we get up there, you're going to be the speaker. And speak 15 minutes on this subject from God's Word. And I thought, oh God, Lord, what am I going to do, please? But I said, Lord, I can't do this. But you'll have to show me. 
So I just walked up there and opened my Bible. And a half hour later, I'm still talking. Now, what did the Lord say here? But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. When you allow God to be God, why should we worry if we're at the top of the stairs and somebody hands you something and says, Here, speak 15 minutes on this subject. Are you a man or a daughter of the son or a daughter of the king of the universe? Sure. Do you have the Holy Spirit? If you don't, you better ask for Him right quick. If you ask for Him right quick, what will He do? He'll put Him in you. Then you say, Lord, I can't do this, but I know you can. Now, when you give Him the glory and say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can, there's no telling what He might do, right? He will do great things. Now then, as I was teaching on these things like this the other day about on our Divine Healing uh, series, I was talking about angels. And I went over into the book of Acts. I'm talking about where Herod got up before the people. And he gave a little speech. And when he got through, the people rose up and said, they gave him a standing ovation that this is not the voice of a man, but of a God. And Herod said, aren't I somebody but that's what he did in the Scriptures. He took the glory and he said his angel smote him with maggots. And they eat him before the people and he died before the people because he failed to give God the glory. How many of you knew that story is in the Word of God? The rest of you don't know it. You need to read more often. You know it is there, didn't you, Ernest? You've read that? Is that scary or is that scary? Today? Do we have it set up? I didn't even see nobody set it up. I forgot today was the first Sunday. Praise God. That's why I got my staff to help me. Okay. Well, yeah, it's 4 o'clock, but I don't have to stop right here. Y'all can go ahead and get this stuff together. We're at a good place right here in the Holy Ghost as y'all start getting the communion stuff together. But as I tell these kind of stories from God's Word, you want to make sure that when God does something wonderful for you, that you don't get caught taking the glory. Herod took the glory that the Holy Spirit spoke out of him, and he spoke so wonderfully that everybody said, this is the voice of a God. And boy, I can just see him strutting around up in his robe, can't you, Ernest? And that angel said, you're not giving God the glory, and just bam! And it literally says in the Scriptures that immediately his body was filled with maggots. And the people saw him die right in front of everybody. Does that make you, that that programmer that was recording all this for me, he told me at the end of this, he said, man, he said, I will never take the glory for anything I do while I'm working for Jesus. He said, I didn't realize it could be that devastating. I said, but it can. It can. 
Do you know that you and I could be made sick by our angel? Or we could die because we've done something great for the kingdom of God? And, you know, I really believe that a lot of the evangelists that got off into the gifts of the Spirit, I really believe that many of them, as they got so powerful in the Word, they got to a point where they thought they were doing it and not God. And do you notice many of them, he takes them out prematurely? It's dangerous to take the glory for what God's doing. He don't share it with nobody. So when he does something, if you get the privilege to pray for somebody and they get healed, man, you give him the glory. It certainly wasn't me. I mean, I've had people come up and say, wow, I went down there and Thurman prayed for me and Thurman healed me. When I hear him say, I said, no, I didn't heal you. I had, the, I had the privilege to pray the prayer of faith for you, but Jesus healed you. I didn't have nothing to do with it other than praying the prayer of faith. But somebody's got to pray that prayer of faith. And if you pray that prayer of faith, then God will move in and do great and wonderful things. Now, this communion that we're fixing to take here, this bread is a symbol of the body of our Savior. Our, our Lord, He is the Savior, He's the Healer, He's the Deliverer, and He's the Provider. And in this bread is salvation, healing, and deliverance. It's all inclusive in this. This is a piece of unleavened bread. You notice that it has holes in it, like He was pierced for us. It has little brown stripes on it, which is a symbol of the stripes that he was beaten and bruised for you and I. He was lashed and we were healed. If you don't receive that by faith, it won't work for you. It's not automatic. You've got to believe it. Just like our little lady up here that has sprained her ankle. Twisted it on the ice. Ice skating. If you have the faith, you can be healed instantly. Or you can put a wrap around it and pray over it and be healed in an hour or a day or a week. It's according to our faith. The king said that. According to our faith. Do I believe that he can heal me in a week? That's just like one day I went to a hospital and a man I know that was four or five years older than me, he also had fell out of a tree and really messed himself up. Broke a bunch of ribs and everything. And he was a Baptist, an independent Baptist. And I was a Baptist. And I went down there and told him, I said, you know, I come down to pray for you, brother. I said, what did the doctor say? How long are you going to be here? He said, six weeks. I said, you want to go home early? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, the doctor said six weeks. I said, you believe the book? I believe every word in God's word. I said, well, okay. Let's turn over to Matthew 18, 19, and let's read that great and awesome promise. Jesus said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about 
Anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. I said, now you want to stay here six weeks? Or you want to go home in three weeks? Or in one week? Or do you want to go home right now? He said, Thurman, come on. You know this leg or these ribs I broke can't heal in a day. I said, okay, if that's where your faith is, do you believe they can heal in three weeks instead of six? He looked at that book again. He said, Jesus did say we could ask for anything, didn't he? I said, he did. He said, I believe he can do it in three weeks. I said, good. I agreed with him. And in three weeks, he went home. The doctor was amazed. What if he just said, I believe I can get up and go home right now? God would have met him right there. See, that's, we have little faith. The king says, oh, you have little faith. And to think, the king came and was beaten and bruised for you and me so that we can have these great and awesome promises. So we can be healed. But most of us don't know it. We don't believe him. And when we look at it, we still live in the flesh world. Ribs be healed instead of six weeks, three weeks. Maybe I can believe that, but how about right now? Just be instantly healed, get up and go home. Well, I don't believe he can do that. According to your faith. Now, if you don't believe he can do it short of six weeks, then you're going to be there for six weeks. The king made us a promise, didn't he? Yes, sir. We need to start believing the king. And when, we, when the church really gets to where we can believe the king, then he said, come and ask me for anything. And then you lay hands on that man and say, Lord, heal him right now. Let all his pain be gone. Put those ribs back. Let him get up and go home right now in the name of Jesus. And he says, I honor that man's faith. He's got it. And the pain goes away. And the man starts moving around and says, Ooh, I have no pain. I can go home. All this happened for the church because of what we're fixing to do right now. The king came to this earth 2,000 years ago and he bore our sickness and removed our disease by what he did when he gave us his body to be beaten and bruised for us. By his stripes we are healed. It was a done deal 2,000 years ago. But we have to receive it by faith. So when our bodies get tore up or bruised or whatever they are, we have to stand on his promises by faith and share his glory with no one. And when we do, he shows up. He's awesome. Praise the King. Father, we thank you for this piece of bread, which is a symbol of the body of our Savior, our healer, our deliverer, our provider. He's everything. He said, it is finished. It's finished. We take this by faith because you said, if we don't eat your flesh and drink your blood, we have nothing with you. Oh, Lord, we want to be with you. And we praise you and thank you for this bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Lots of people take the elements in a different way. Many churches I've been in, as they're past, each individual one just takes it and eats it and drinks it right there. But there's lots of ways to do it.
The Lord says as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. He don't care how you do it as long as you do it. And when you do it, you know that this is him. This is his blood. A symbol of the blood, the most pure, awesome blood. His blood that was poured out as an atonement for yours and my sin. To cleanse us and purify us. To make us holy. To make us the righteousness of God in Christ. So that by being in him, when we drank this blood, all of our sins were washed away. When we received him as our Lord and our Savior. His blood cleansed us and purified us and made us just as if we had never sinned in our life. He put a white robe on us and made us sons and daughters of the King of the universe. What a blessing. That the King would love us enough to do that for wicked people like you and me. But He did. And now we're somebody. We're children of the Most High God anointed with the Holy Ghost and fire that can go forth when we do it in faith. There's no limitations to what we can do if we do it according to His Word. Thank you, Father, for this blood that washed us and cleansed us and made us sons and daughters of Yours. Thank you, Father, for what Your Son did when He died on that cross when he went to hell and arose again and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father to watch over this new covenant he's given to us to make sure it comes to pass. We praise you and thank you for this. Bless us as we drink this. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your mighty Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit and power and fire every day of my life. Whatever it takes, maybe it takes many times a day to keep me full to overflowing, but I want to be full to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. I yield my life to the Holy Spirit. I trust you completely. You do what you want to with me. You send me where you want me to go. You speak out of my mouth. Lord, you use me for your glory. I praise you and thank you for the privilege to be your son. And Lord, I ask you to fill everybody in this place with the mighty Holy Spirit, a new, fresh fire. Fill them today with the Holy Spirit. And as they go this week... Use them mightily to bring glory and honor to your name. Through your Holy Spirit, give them the power to witness, to talk, to share you with those around about them. And then, Lord, confirm what they teach with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power as you save and heal and deliver and do signs and miracles so people will know that these are true children of the Most High God. We praise you and thank you for this beautiful day, Lord, for all the things you do. And bless us as we go out throughout the rest of this day and all that we do. In Jesus' name.